and table. Let's take some time to look at the Word of God. We are in Matthew chapter 16 as we continue our study in the gospel of the kingdom. Message is entitled, Examine Yourselves. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding of your word. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-felt, that the congregation, your flock, might be fed and challenged. And Lord, if there are some here that do not know you as their own personal Savior, that as they hear the gospel, the importance of the cross, Lord, that they would submit to it, that you would draw them to yourself and they would be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Examine yourselves, which is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as he was once again teaching the church at Corinth about the communion table. He said, examine yourselves and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine yourselves. The Old Testament writer said, consider the path of your feet. Each one is responsible for the decisions they make. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you say a prayer, ask Jesus in your heart, thinking that I'll ask Jesus in my heart, I got my fire insurance, then I can do whatever I want. Or maybe you're one of those people that heard what is not the gospel, that if you receive Jesus, then he's going to make everything perfect for you. But that wasn't Jesus' invitation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, Peter writes, Apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and your more excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control, and your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. He said, if, you, if these things are in you and growing, you can be assured of your faith. Then he says in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the diligent to make sure about his calling and choosing you. Make sure of your salvation. That's a personal call. Jesus is about to leave his public ministry and spend time personally with his disciples that he can really take and personally put in these things that they will think about these things that are so important and especially prepare them for his coming death that's coming. In, verse six, in chapter 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus. You see, they didn't know they were the ones failing the test. He had demonstrated over and over by his words, they matched with Scripture, and by his works, they attested from the Old Testament who he was, and they missed him. And they said, you know, give us a sign from heaven, and then maybe we'll believe you. And Jesus reminded them, you see in chapter 14, he'd already told them, explained to them, only one sign was going to be given them, and that's the sign of Jonah. And he explained then in chapter 14 that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man die and be buried in the earth and rise again. He said to them, you know, you're, you're so foolish. You understand the weather. You think you can predict what the weather is by looking at the sunrise coming up. You know, we have that little saying, you know, I don't know if you've heard it before, but um, red, red sky at dawn, sailors be warned. 
Red sky at night, sailor's delight. He says, you think you can see the weather, but you're missing the signs of the times. The times they were living in. The most important time of the history of the earth. Where the creator God, the one that spoke the worlds into existence, took upon him flesh, came down and tabernacled among them. He lived among them that they might see his works and hear his words. As far as they were concerned, he fell short because they missed who he was. They missed the opportunity of their lives. His very sad words, we don't want to miss them. Jesus said in verse 4, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. A sign will not be given except the sign of Jonah. And then he left and went away. He left them and went away. The Bible says God will not always strive with man. In Noah's day, Noah preached for 120 years. And then God gathered Noah and his family into the boat and he shut the door. Their opportunity was over. Some of you come week after week. I don't know hearts, but, you, but God does. And you hear the gospel and you could probably explain the gospel, but you have yet to submit to it. How do you know that God won't stop knocking on the door of your heart tomorrow and you never think about it again? He said, I always strive with man. There's a point in a man wants to die and after this, the judgment. The judgment will be based upon what you did with Jesus Christ. Not did you understand the gospel, did you know trivia about Jesus in the Bible, but did you know him? Does he know you? And I think that was on Jesus' heart as he gets in the boat and they go across the lake. In the next couple of verses, the disciples realize they'd forgotten to bring bread with them, and so they're talking about that. And I think Jesus' heart, heavy about the fact that he left these and the impact that legalism has, because we are natural legalists. We want to justify ourselves. We want to look at ourselves, even as Christians say, well, I think I'm doing okay because I'm, I'm keeping the Christian rules. And I think his heart is heavy, and he says to his disciples, beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they start thinking, oh, oh it's oh, he's on our case because we forgot bread. And he stops him, and he says, listen, guys, don't you remember when we fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 25,000 people, and how many baskets did you take up afterwards? Twelve? Uh-huh. And we just fed the 4,000 plus women and children. And how many did we take up afterwards? Seven baskets? Bread's not a problem for me. Then they understood he was talking about the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. And what was that teaching? That teaching is the doctrines and the precepts of men. Matthew 15, 6, invalidating the word of God for the sake of tradition. And we each have that in our flesh because we'd rather have some rules than our relationship. It's just part of us to justify ourselves. So some people get together, different religions. Hey, I grew up as a Baptist. And there are people who said a prayer and then they just got the new rule book and they, their life didn't change. But now they know the important things, you know. You know, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. You know, don't go to movies, don't dance. And they got these rules. 
and they're okay now because they keep the rules. They justify themselves. My brother John, I remember he it was such a blessing to hear his testimony many years ago. He was, uh, as he was planning and, and designing our building for us, he would come out and visit and talk to us. And he was in that, at that time a very legalistic church. And, and uh, if you ask those people, they'd say they love the Lord. But he said, Paul, you know what the difference I see now? Because he would come and, you know, our contemporary music, such as it is, uh, we don't think about it. We just worship the Lord. But that was different for him. And so sometimes he'd sit and he wouldn't sing. And, you know, think, well, what's going on here? But you know what got to his heart? He said, you know, whenever I talk to your men, he'd taken a trip with Wade to see the colors of the fall down through Colorado. And he said, no matter who I'm talking to, we end up talking about the Lord. In our church, we figure we got all that done. We never talk about the Lord. Say, huh, interesting, interesting. And your love for the Lord is what changed him. He's no longer in a church like that. But it's easy to grow up with those rules and say, I'm doing okay. And yet, like the Pharisees, there's anger and bitterness in your heart towards other people, towards other believers. These people wanted to murder Jesus. And they said, we're okay because we have our rules. And they invalidated the word of God by their traditions. So they travel And Jesus begins to teach them. So the questions today, do you recognize the signs of the times that you're in? We look at Romans 1 and we say that, you know, we're seeing the death of our culture. We don't know how long our culture is going to last. The Lord may come back tomorrow. We don't know how much time. It seems like we're living in the last time just based on what the Word of God says. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. Paul said, realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's where we're living. But I don't know if we're coming to the end of days or we're coming to the end of our culture or when that's going to be. But the Bible says about us personally in James, James said, go to you that think we're going to go here and there and buy and sell and get gain. I'm going to get education. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to get a... When you don't know what's coming tomorrow. For what is your life but a vapor that appears for a little time and then... vanishes away. You don't know that the next time you go to the doctor, he's going to discover a deadly disease. You don't know that you're going to go out on the road and expect to go on a trip with the family and God's going to snuff your life out. Do you understand the times you're living in and the opportunity you have if you don't know Christ? Do you recognize that teaching of man over God's word? that can sneak into any one of our lives. And do you recognize Jesus for those who the scripture says he is? In verses 13 through 20, he's got his disciples now. They're heading up towards Caesarea Philippi so they can be alone. The reason they're going there is it was such a, a pagan place for the Roman soldiers to worship. 
and indulge the flesh. They didn't go to that place of worship. They just went there so they'd get away from the Jews because no self-respecting Jew would go up to Caesarea Philippi. And so he stops and he says, who do people say that I am? You can get a lot of answers from people, right? Who Jesus is. Oh, he's a good man. Oh, he's a good teacher. Even Christians kind of make up what Jesus would do because they're not looking at Scripture. Oh, I think Jesus would like this. Oh, I think Jesus would be okay with this. Christians today in our culture involved in all kinds of immorality, but, you know, Jesus forgives, so it's okay. And then he asks the important question, but who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Peter answers, and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter, and he said, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto you, but the heavenly Father. Anytime somebody recognizes for real who Jesus is and submits to him, that's an act of God. That's a miracle of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the same God who said, let there be light, is the one that is shown in our heart, light of the gospel in the face of Christ. It's God that reaches down and gives you that knowledge, gives you that word of faith. Again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Even the faith to believe is God the one that pointed that out to you. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Peter recognizes who Jesus is, and then he responds further, Peter, and he said, upon this rock I will build my church. What was the rock? Well, it was two things. It was the statement of Peter about who he is that came from God. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus established the church upon the foundation stones of the apostles with himself being the chief cornerstone. And then he tells them something that I don't think they grasped at this point. He didn't say, upon this rock, I'm going to build my kingdom. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my assembly, my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, Peter had just spoken for the, for the Lord. And now the Lord's going to begin to teach them about the rest of the story. And in verses 21 through 23, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. And the Bible says that Peter took him aside. Dr. Bookman teaches us that in the Greek it actually means he grabbed him by the collar and pulled him over here. And he said, No, that's not going to happen because you have us. And this thing's going so well, Lord, we're not going that direction. No, he just got through speaking for the Lord, right? And now Jesus rebukes him. And he says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't desire the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. See, that is the temptation that Satan offered Jesus in the temptation. To have the crown without the cross. Do you understand, do you recognize the importance of, of the cross? A lot of people don't. They think, oh, you know, just bad, 
good program gone bad, and then they crucified Jesus because they didn't like him. No, no, no. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. John 10, he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord, and then I'll take it up again. Jesus went on the cro- to the cross to die for you and for me. In Hebrews, it says, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats, all of those sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament, which were a sign of the things that were to come, were a picture to teach his people there needs to be a perfect sacrifice. And John the Baptist pointed him out, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's that old, that old hymn It talks about God interceding his precious blood. And there's the picture of the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is the law. This says the soul that sins shall die. And above is the holy God that brings punishment to all those that sin. But in between is the mercy seat in which the blood was sprinkled and where Jesus interposed his precious blood, that we might have life. The cross is necessary. And then do you understand Jesus' invitation? Because after speaking about the cross, he says, listen, if any man would come after me, he needs to deny himself. That means, as he's already told us in the Beatitudes, that you are bankrupt spiritually. I am bankrupt spiritually. There's nothing that I can offer God. No, no good thing dwells in me that I need his goodness. It's only as I fall at his feet and cry out for mercy as a sinner and trust his death on the cross to be enough for me that I find peace. Not Jesus' death plus all that I can do, but Jesus' sacrifice alone. His propitiation his payment is enough and he died and before he died he won the victory and he said it is finished all that was needed for salvation was finished before jesus died so he says if any man would come after me he didn't say ask jesus in your heart and then go live your life because i'm going to make it good it'll be greater than you ever hoped You can have your best life now. No, no, he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Where was Jesus going? When he carried his cross, he went to the place of execution. He cried out, Father, not my will, but thine be done. As we carry our cross, we have gone from being slaves of sin to being slaves of God. That he calls us to give up our life. In the next verse, he says, For whoever wishes, verse 25, to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You want to hold on to your life? Eventually you're going to lose it for eternity. But if you will submit your life at the cross to Jesus Christ, It's the only way to save your life. And then he has this little test on values. It's just a question of value. If a man gained the whole world, everything that a person could gain in this world, power, prestige, 
money, people thinking well of you, all that the world offers. And you live your life that way for 70, 80, 90 years. And then you lose your soul. Is that a valuable investment? Jesus asked the question. Even 100 years compared to eternity, is that a good value that you got to do what you wanted? You lived your life your way. You did it your way. And then you lose your soul? Then he asked the question another way. If you'd gained the whole world, and then you came to the end of your life, and you could buy it, and you realized, I'm at the end, but I could buy eternal life, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Well, if you understand value, you'd say, well, I'd give it all. The problem is, 1 John 5 says that people are asleep in the arms of Satan, and they sometimes never wake up. It's God's grace that wakes them up to their condition. Because even if you had all the world, you could not purchase your salvation. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 that our salvation is not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold, but by precious, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. Do you understand value? I ask people sometimes when they understand the gospel, yes, I do. Well, then what do you think you're going to give up? That's Jesus' question. What will you lose by giving up what you think is so important to you and your time and your place and what you can gather? What will you really give up? You won't give up anything. In light of eternity, Jesus is the precious one. But understand something. Judgment is coming. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and then repay every man according to his deeds. See, works follow faith. And you can say one thing, but your flesh will do something else. James wrote and he said that our faith is justified by our works. Man says he has faith. He says, good, show me your faith by, my, by your works. You see, because when you have a change of life, it changes everything about you. Father, we thank you for your word how powerful it is, how important it is, just like the disciples, for them to be able to consider. Are they being taken in? Are they considering the time that they were living in? Are we making good use of our time or are we wasting our opportunity? Do we understand how legalism can creep in so that we just begin to justify ourselves and then we don't walk with the Lord? Do we really see who Jesus is? He's the king. Do we understand his invitation? Have we submitted to that? Do we joyfully follow him? Understanding it is the most precious thing that we can have, the life of Christ, so that we can stand in confidence and peace in the day of judgment because you paid it all. It wasn't about us. It was about you, Lord Jesus. Lord, Lord, as we gather around the table, Lord, examine our lives. Lord, I pray that there are any here that do not know you that today right now in the quietness of where they sit Lord they would admit their sinful condition and you would draw them to yourself give them the faith to believe that they would call out to you from their heart and say Lord be merciful I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that that was enough 
Today, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, for us as believers, Lord, I pray that you convict us of sin left unconfessed, that we might come with clean hands to worship you as we remember all that we are, all that we have is because of you and for you. In Jesus' name we pray.